Awesome. All right. Uh, starting uh, <clears throat> my message today is called Starting from the Finish Line. We have been doing this series entitled It Is Finished. It Is Finished. And this message this morning is Starting from the Finish Line. I want to read the scripture that I read last week, John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30. John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30. Jesus is on the cross. And it says, later, knowing that everything had now finished, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty, knowing that everything had finished. What had finished? He didn't die yet. He's still alive. But knowing that everything had finished, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished! I don't believe that was a wimpy statement. I don't believe that was a man who was giving up and he was exhausted and he was broken and he said, it's finished. Knowing that everything had come to completion, this was the conclusion, the period, the exclamation mark on God's plan of redemption for humanity. And so as Jesus was ready to give up the ghost, he shouted out, it is finished! I don't know if you like watching uh, movies like Braveheart, but there's that crucial scene, that epic scene in Braveheart where William Wallace is on the stretching rack and he will not relent, he will not give up, they cannot break his spirit and he screams out, freedom! That was a copy of what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus declared, it is finished, he declared our freedom. Can I get an agreement here this morning? Amen. I shared with you last week that the word finished in the Greek means, it is the word teleo, teleo, teleo. And it means to complete, to accomplish, to have executed, to conclude, to discharge a debt. You see, Jesus finished the plan of redemption. It was concluded that moment on the cross. God's plan of redemption. Today, I want to share with you a truth that most Christians never fully understand, really. And it prevents them from experiencing 90% of their salvation. Most Christians live and uh, hang on just the fact that their sins are forgiven and now their name is written in the book of life. But as I shared last week, that when Jesus died on the cross, he was born under the law, he redeemed us from the law, and he made us 
to be adopted and then born again and breathe uh, the Spirit of God into our lives and we became sons. And as sons, we became heirs. Last week, I was using the illustration of Queen Elizabeth and I said uh, Prince Philip by mistake. I meant to say Prince William. Philip was her husband. He passed away. Uh, Prince William, Charles and Diana's son, William. After Charles comes to the throne, William will come to the throne. Well, even though the queen at 96 is still very much alive, Prince William is living in the inheritance now. He's living like royalty now. He has all the benefits of that name. He has all the benefits of that family line, that lineage. He has all the, the, the things that would come with being the future king of, his, uh, uh, of England. And yet, he still has to wait for his grandma to pass away. He still has to wait for his dad to pass away. And then he would take the throne but he lives in the benefits and the royalty and all the inheritance. He is enjoying it now. You have been given an inheritance in Christ. That's an awesome thing. So there are two things that are really, really uh, awesome about the phrase, it is finished. Number one. The first thing that's awesome about that phrase is that for something to be finished, something had to be started. If something is finished, something had to be started. And last week I shared with you that the moment mankind fell in the garden and all the curses of hell were unleashed, God spoke up and prophetically declared that he had already initiated that a seed would come to crush the serpent's head and bring deliverance to humanity. Amen. And so God started that in the garden, and last week my title was, Jesus finished what the Father started. So the, one of the awesome truths about him saying it is finished, for him to say it is finished, it means something had to start. And he finished, praise God, he finished what God started in the garden, the plan of salvation. Second thing that's awesome about this phrase is that whatever it is I'm going to do, whatever it is I'm about to face, whatever challenge is trying to buffet me or harass me and bring me down, I start from the finish line. You start from the finish line. Everything that will ever face you, everything that will ever attack you, everything that wants to take your breath away, everything that wants to destroy your dreams and take away your joy. Jesus said at the cross, it is finished. Hallelujah. I start life from the finished line that Jesus purchased for you and me. How would you like to have to take on a tremendous task and know that the moment you start, you've already accomplished it? That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
We live our Christianity from the finish line. We live our Christianity from the fact that Jesus went to war for us and he beat the arch enemy of humanity. He beat that demon who wants to vex your mind and bring you into depression. He beat that devil that wants to steal your health and take away your joy. Jesus went mano a mano and on the cross he declared an end to the enemy's campaign of terror. It is finished. Too often, we don't always live in the conscious focus of the fact that we start our Christianity from the finish line. The victory's already mine. Before the enemy even hatches another plan to come against me, I've already won. He could come up with a new plan every day, 365 days of the year, every year until Jesus takes me home. And every new plan he tries to hatch I am covered in the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus speaks over me and says, it is finished. I want you to understand that before the enemy can even think of a new way to take you down, it's met with an answer from the blood of Jesus. It is finished. Praise God. What a powerful truth. Now, I want to develop this truth, and I want to expound on it even more. I want you to understand that this is not an inspirational message. I'm going to lay down some theological truth. I want to give you reason upon reason upon reason why the Bible says that you are destined and have the victory over every situation you will ever face. You see, I, I get perturbed because I still hear Christians talking when negative things are happening. Well, this was God's will, and it was God's will for me to have cancer, and uh, I've only got two months left to live. God didn't say, you're going to be finished. God said, it is finished. The Redeemer said, it is finished. And so to unpack this in a deeper way, so that you have 10,000 reasons to believe that the victory really is yours. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to start to lay down some information that has been lost to the church. Or shall I just end the service? The concept of a savior or the concept of salvation in the Old Testament is very different than the concept of what many preachers have reduced it to today. Let's say this again. Jesus was the promised Savior. Yeshua means Savior. He was the promised Savior prophesied of in the Old Testament. So I'm going to make this statement again. The concept of a Savior and salvation in the Old Testament is very different than what it's been reduced to today. I'm going to start with this. 
the word Savior is synonymous with the word salvation. Or to, sorry, it's synonymous with the word save. Savior, save in the Hebrew, it's synonymous. They use the same word. It is the Hebrew reference number 3467. And the word is Yasha. Yasha. It's where we get Yeshua from. It's the root, it's the base, and it means to free, to avenge. Now, be honest with me. May believe you're not in church for a moment. How many times somebody has done you wrong and you want to be avenged? Oh, come on, take your religious mask off and be real with me. The, I, I would be getting a hundred, yeah! <laughs> somebody cuts you off and you want to see him get, get all the red lights, right? Okay, uh, we want to be avenged. Do you know that God's salvation includes avenging us? It includes avenging us. Bringing back the justice from the situation where the enemy put his nose into our business and messed everything up. God wants to bring back the, a world of order and justice in our lives. So the word yasha means to free to avenge, to defend. How many of, want, of you want Jesus to be your defender? To deliver, to preserve, to rescue, to bring salvation, to get the victory, to help, to make safe. Now I'm taking the Hebrew word that appears over and over again in the Old Testament. This is the word for savior. Excuse me. I don't specifically see where it says only to forgive us of our sins. No, this word is far more encompassing. It doesn't touch on one thing. The word savior in the Hebrew concept and what the, the ancients of old understood that this savior would be a complete deliverer and he would come to deliver us from all the effects of the fall that took place in the Garden of Eden. You see, you can't redeem something unless you're redeeming it back to what it once was. Jesus is our redeemer. God sent him to redeem. Why? Because God doesn't want man to be cursed. God doesn't want the earth to be cursed. I'm excited because there's coming a day where death will finally be dealt with. He is the last enemy, the Bible says. Paul actually says the last enemy to be dealt with is the spirit of death itself. And when the spirit of death is gone, we kick into another new age. And this is an age where the Bible says in Revelation 21, there will be a new order. And there will be no more death. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more tears. And God will recreate the heavens and the earth. And Jerusalem will come down out of heaven. And we will live with God and he will live with us. That is the final phase. And all of that is going to happen because Jesus finished it on the cross. Are you hearing me? So salvation, the concept of salvation and the concept of a savior is, uh, it includes 
everything from being set free, being avenged, being defended, being delivered, being preserved, being rescued, uh, having salvation, getting the victory. How many of you want to have the victory in the circumstances you face in life? And the rest of you just want to be miserable. Now, I'm going to ask for a show of hands again. You keep your hand down. You're letting the devil know you just want to stay miserable. How many of you want to get the victory in day-to-day circumstances? Yeah. Come on, baby. Bring it on. Praise God. The word salvation in the Old Testament, when you do a word study and look up every verse that talks about salvation, the Hebrew word is yesha. It's three, four, six, eight. Again, we just looked at three, four, six, seven. Now, a derivative, uh, three, four, six, eight. Yesha comes from three, four, six, seven. Deliverance, rescue, salvation, safety, welfare, liberty, prosperity. Let me, let, let me show you from the word. Without a question, salvation means the forgiveness of sins and being made right with God. But it means a lot more than that. You see, in the Old Testament, you will see references of salvation that pertain to our sins being forgiven and the guilt and the condemnation being taken off of us. One such verse, and I, there's no way I could go through every verse in the Old Testament to show you, but one verse is Psalm 79, verse 9. And David cries out, Help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name, deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. And so he's crying out to his Savior, The same word that I used earlier, Savior, Yasha, 3467, he cries out, Oh, Yasha, save us from our sins. But I want to see, I want to show you something really cool. That salvation, I want to prove to you from Scripture that salvation wasn't just the forgiveness of sins. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, This is about the story of David and Saul is hunting him down, one of his own. David fought Goliath on behalf of King Saul, on behalf of the God in heaven, on behalf of the people of Israel. But insecurity and jealousy got into Saul's heart and so did a spirit of darkness. You can't harbor jealousy and envy and not open yourself up to a wrong spirit. Are you hearing me, church? We have to make every effort to close the door. Hey, listen, I hate mosquitoes. Anybody here love mosquitoes? I hate mosquitoes. They love me. We have a love-hate relationship. I hate them, they love me. If I don't want mosquitoes in my house and if I don't want them taking my blood and if I don't want them leaving an irritation under my skin, I need to close every window and every door. You getting the analogy? We need to close the doors to the enemy. And here Saul had envy and jealousy 
for David and he tried to kill him. And in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 to 4, then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. So here we are in Samuel, and it's going to record a song that David wrote. Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. David wrote this song. On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and the hand of Saul. So we now know the context of this song. The subject of this song is about David being delivered from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of King Saul. Now, with that context fixed in our mind, let's look at the usage of the word Savior. This is what it says, verse 2. And he said, the Lord is my rock. He is my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. The context wasn't David sinned and he's repenting of his sins. No, the context is that David had many enemies and this guy was after him and this uh, prince of this nation was after him and that person had a beef against him and all of hell was closing in on him. But God gave him victory after victory after victory and David gives credit to his Savior. The concept of salvation, the concept of a savior in the Old Testament was all inclusive of being set free and delivered from the hand of the enemy. How many of you like that concept? Absolutely. Listen, I'm thrilled my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. But I don't want to live in hell while I'm on earth. Now there's hell happening all around us. The Bible says that's not my inheritance. The Bible says I'm in the world, but not of it. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world, but the Bible also says that Jesus took me out of the kingdom of darkness, and I'm under the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You see, there's a government over the kingdom of darkness. There's a government over Russia, Ukraine, China. There's a government over the United States. There's a government of darkness that rules every nation and every people group. But those who are born again have been escorted out of that government and out of that sphere of influence and out of that control and we have been taken into the kingdom of a savior, a deliverer, a rescuer, one who brings us victory. You saved me. He goes on. He says, my savior, you saved me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. What's your enemy? Depression. He's the savior who comes to save us from depression. What's your enemy? Cancer. It's in your family line and the doctor told you that you're most likely to get it. You have a savior. If you have an enemy, Jesus is always the savior. I said, if you have an enemy, Jesus is always the savior. I said last week, 
You, if you're under the law, you can't help but be a sinner. But if you're under the blood of Jesus, you can't help but be a son. If Jesus is your savior, then you can't help but have the victory. Amen. Absolutely. In Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3, this is what the prophet says. But now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Everyone say, God has summoned me by name. How did you get saved? How did you come to Jesus? God called you by name. You resisted, I resisted, we kept saying no, and then finally one day we said yes. God called me by name. Come on, say it. God called me by name. And then he says, you are mine. I belong to the Lord. When the devil wants to put his, his garbage on me, I say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not even my own. I belong to him. Now, if you live a double life, that's a different story. If you live with the mosquito screen up, if you live with the doors wide open, that's a different story. If you allow the enemy in your conversations and you allow the enemy in your fear and in your thinking, that's a different story. And that's why it's so important. I can give you a 20-minute sermon and just motivate you every Sunday and let everyone be happy. It ain't good enough. Because when you're facing your enemy, you need solid Bible reason. You need solid Bible theology to hit the devil in the face with and say, you're nothing but a flaming liar. Go back to hell where you belong because the word of God assures me I have every right to be free in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Come on, that's what I'm preaching about. Are you with me today? Absolutely. The concept, he goes on to say, I have saved you. I, sorry, I have summoned you by name. You are mine when you pass. Listen to this. I have saved you. I have summoned you, I'm sorry. By name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Do you get the picture? God says, you are mine. I called you. You are my possession. Do you honestly think that God's going to let Satan come along and trash his possession? Do you honestly think God's going to say, okay, Satan, I see you burning my house down. I'm not happy about it, but my hands are tied. I want to tell you, I am the house of the Lord. You are the house of the Lord. And God's not going to let some peon in hell who only had breath because he gave it to him in the first place burn down his house. Come on, stand up and say, I am the house of the Lord. I am his. 
Don't mess with God's stuff. Yeah, see, understanding this scripture, when the devil comes for you, you need to get in his face and say, hey. See, in the world we say, don't mess with me. No. Hey, don't mess with God's stuff. Come on now. Don't mess with God's stuff. God's not going to be in favor of black mold going through his house. God's not going to be in favor of cancer ripping through his house. God's not going to be in favor of his house being destroyed. We have got to get a concept of salvation that is in line with what God prophesied from the beginning. Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Rob. Come on, church. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they'll not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your Deliverer. The one who avenges you, the one who sets you free, the one who rescues you, brings you victory, the one who's concerned about your welfare and your prosperity. The devil says to us, you're going down. And I say back to him, you're already down. You're under my feet. <laughs> Praise God. The concept of a savior was not just one who saved from sin in the Old Testament. But the concept of a savior was one who saved you from every adversity. Now here's an interesting point. Ironically, because there are so many scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about salvation, delivering, deliverance from this enemy, deliverance from this nation, deliverance from famine, deliverance from plagues. Because there are so many scriptural references, when Jesus came, the Hebrew people ironically had difficulty in seeing a savior who came to redeem them of their sins. They wanted a savior who was going to turn the Roman Empire upside down and make Israel a great nation again. And do you know they missed, because they locked in on only one sphere or one focus of what that Savior came to do, they missed the most important thing. You can't even go into the gates of the kingdom unless you are born again in Jesus Christ. And so a whole people group who were destined to have a promise missed the promise, not because God's timing was wrong, not because God didn't care, because temple worship was convenient enough that all you had to do was go to the temple, buy a sacrifice, have the priest sacrifice it for you. It was convenient, in and out, fast, and instead of the word becoming a part of them, they had a one-eyed view of a Messiah. You know what's interesting? 
Israel missed the greater share of their inheritance. But what's interesting is that equally ironic today, many churches see Yeshua only as the one who comes to save us from our sins. And just like Israel missed out on the greater portion of their inheritance, many Christians are missing out on the fullness of their inheritance. Can you hear me? Are you hearing me? Do you believe me? The word Savior in the New Testament, every time the word Savior is used in the Greek, the reference number is 4990. The word is soter, and it means a deliverer. So in the Old Testament, a Savior came to bring freedom, avenge, deliver. In the New Testament, a Savior, soter, he is a deliverer. The Greek word for save, in the Greek, savior and save are two different words. In the Hebrew, they are synonymous. In the Greek, a savior comes to deliver, and when he saves you, this is what save means. The Greek reference 4982, the word is sozo, to preserve. How many of you want to be preserved? To save, to deliver to protect, to heal, to preserve, to make you whole. Wow. So a savior is a deliverer in the Greek, and he comes to save, and when he saves, he preserves you. He saves you, he delivers you, he protects you, he heals you, uh, and he makes you whole. That sounds like a bigger, more complete picture of, of salvation, doesn't it? Isn't it interesting that this is what the Greek says, but this isn't what a lot of pulpits say? I want you to understand that when Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about the whole kitten. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about everything that went wrong just got made right because of the price that he paid on the cross. What Jesus was saying is, because the first Adam allowed the curse to come into the world, everything that could go wrong did go wrong, but now I am the last Adam, and because of me, Everything that went wrong can be overturned because it is finished. Amen. Amen. Good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, we need to hear it on a regular basis. The word saved or being saved in the Greek is soteria. Soteria. And it means to deliver, to have health, to have salvation, to be saved. To have health. And so many Christians are convinced that their sins are forgiven, they're going to heaven, but I'm plagued with debt, I'm plagued with mental illness, I'm plagued with inferiority, I'm plagued with rejection, but you know, uh, my weakness gives glory to God. No, your weakness is showcasing what the devil could do. Your victory showcases what God can do. I don't know how we got theology so twisted up. 
I don't know how we perverted the biblical concept of salvation. But I do know this, the Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's always trying to water down the good news. Do you understand that in most Christians' perspective, he has reduced the great news, the awesome news, the good news, to just the fact your sins are forgiven, and by the way, when you drop dead, you go to heaven. Now, I'm so glad that when I die, I get promoted and I go to heaven. And that is a fairly major thing. But right now, heaven is a distant reality. While I'm up to my neck in a swamp with alligators and crocodiles nipping at my feet. You see, in this world, we still need a savior. He didn't come just to save us from the end result, he came to save us from the total result of the fall of humanity. Is that good preaching? Did Jesus come to redeem us? I'm going to ask you again. Some of you are confident. Did Jesus come to redeem us? In the New Testament, this is what the word redeem is. This is the concept of redemption in the Bible. It comes from the Greek word exagorzo. Exagorzo. Did I ever tell you that Greek's not my primary language? (laughs) And it means to buy up our debt. To buy up our debt. He redeemed me. He's by, how many of you have a few debts in the natural world? Money debts. How many of you have a few debts? How many, still owe, how many of you still owe a mortgage on your house? So few of you have put your hands up. I guess the tithes and offerings are going to be really good this week. If you have a car loan, if you have a house loan, if you owe money on your electricity bill, every debt. To redeem means to buy up all your debts. There, if you have a debt, then you have a debtor who, who is going to chase you for the money. Hello? Right? If you have a debt, someone's chasing you for the money. There is someone you are beholding to. But if you have no debts, there is no one you are beholding to. If you have no debts, nobody can come knocking in the night. If you have no debts, they can't foreclose you. They can't shut you down. Redemption. I have been redeemed. He bought up all my debts. I don't have someone coming after me. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise. In Psalm 107, verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You see, salvation is more than just your sins being forgiven. Why do we believe in miracles? People say, well, you know, miracles are only at God's whim. You can't just pray for a miracle. I want to tell you, don't go to that church. They're good people. They're they're born again, but they don't have the whole story. I'm telling you the truth. 
you could live on 5% of your income and you're going to be miserable. How many of you would be happy to live on 5% of your income? How many of you want to live on all the benefits of your income? How many of you would like more than what you can bring in to your house? Yeah? All right. Salvation is the same way. A lot of church mentality wants you to live on the smell of an oily rag and then your salvation kicks in when you're dead. I got, I got news for you. When I get to heaven, I don't need the victory because I'm living in the land of victory. When I get to heaven, I don't need someone to pay my debt because the streets are paved with gold. I, when I get to heaven, I don't need a hospital or a healer or a physician or a nurse because there is no sickness in heaven. So then if he's a deliverer, if he's a savior, if he's a redeemer, I need those qualities affecting my life here because I'm not going to need them in eternity. Hello? And so many people, because... It isn't taught. It isn't preached. We aren't refocused often enough on the fullness of what this means. Too many people are struggling. Too many people are defeated. Too many people are giving up the race. Heck, the race, I start every morning knowing I have already won the race because Jesus starts me at the finish line. Hallelujah. Today, the equivalent of that verse, Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, the equivalent would be this. Let the redeemed say, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. You see, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, he was just a young man, and God called him to be a prophet. And Jeremiah doubted his calling. And God said, no. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. Don't look at your inability. I am putting my words in your mouth. And then God says, right after he says to Jeremiah, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. This is what he says in verse 12. I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. Where's, where was God's word in the context of this scripture? Where? In Jeremiah's mouth. I have put my word in your mouth. Now I'm watching over my word. See where it comes out. Who's going to speak it so that I can perform my word? Wow. Jesus Christ is the word of God. And everything written in that book is the word of God. And no, Jeremiah wasn't this lucky duck, this one-off person. Everyone born again into Jesus Christ has been given access to the word of God. And when the word of God is in our mouth and we're speaking it, God is looking over the earth. Do you know that God is anxiously hopefully, joyfully, expectantly 
looking for something to do in your life. Jeremiah, I am putting my word in your mouth. I'm putting my word. Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. You're going to shut nations down. Why? Because Jeremiah was 10 feet tall? No, because he will speak the word of God and God will be on the lookout for his word and when he hears his word and he sees his word, he will perform it. Read the chapter. You'll see that God says to Jeremiah, you will shut nations down. Why? Not because he's 10 foot tall, not because he's got 10,000 soldiers, but because the word of the Lord is in his mouth. Can I ask you a question? Is the word of the Lord in Jeremiah's mouth any different than when the word of God comes out of your mouth? So what does God say? I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> I'm looking for my word. Yeah, I don't see it coming out of their mouths. Let me see if I find somebody. Oh, there's somebody. They're actually repeating what I said. Yay! I'm going to go there and I'm going to perform my word all over his life. Here it comes. Oh, my anointing will perform the power of my word. Say, okay, pastor. Put it all together. Here it is. In my mouth is the word. It is finished. When the enemy starts a fight with me, I start with it is finished. I've got the victory. I've got the victory. Jesus already beat you at the cross. I take the devil back to the cross and I remind them, I've already passed the finish line. Come on, somebody get excited. Stand up, give the Lord a shout this morning. Praise God. Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. I'm going to stitch this up. Sit down for a second. This is, this is really important. Guys, get ready to put this up on the screen. It is finished. This is what it means. It is finished means three things. Everybody repeat after me, three things. It is finished means three things. Number one, God's total plan of salvation is completed. That word finished in the Greek means it's been executed, it's been brought to completion. God's total plan of salvation, of deliverance, of healing, of taking care of our welfare, of setting us free, bringing prosperity, giving us mental health, emotional health, getting rid of our fears, our inferiorities, and our rejection. God's total plan. Let me ask you a question. When you're full of fear, when you're full of inferiority, when you're full of rejection, are you mirroring the image of God that he created you in? No, we're mirroring the image of a fallen man. 
You see, my Savior came to redeem me and bring me back into the image of God. And that image is a picture of victory. That image is a picture of mental health. That picture is a picture of overcoming. And you might say, well, Pastor, are you you're speaking down to people who have mental health issues? Absolutely not. I'm speaking up to you. I want you to understand you need to change your mindset. If you change your mindset, you'll have a change of heart set. And when you understand that it is finished, everything in your life will start to line up with what Jesus said because God is looking for his word. He's looking for someone with his word in their mouth. And when he finds his word, he will fulfill it. Praise God. It is finished means three things. God's total plan of salvation is completed. Number two, the enemy's curse of destruction has to stop. It is finished. Did you hear number two? I'm going to say it again. Number two, it means the enemy's curse of destruction has to stop. Number three, it means I am starting life. I'm starting this next battle having already crossed the finish line. I already have the victory in Jesus' name. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand. I brought my boxing gloves today because I want to give you an illustration of how a Christian is supposed to live this life. Now, we're about to do a skit. If there are any little children that are impressionable, I have an actor who's coming in, and he's going to be wearing a mask of a demon, okay? And so I don't want to put a spirit of fear in any little kids. But uh, <clears throat> Izzy, would you just go out there and make sure that my actor is coming in? Is he ready? Because I'm ready to give him a beating. <laughs> Praise God. That mask is so ugly, even the actor didn't want to put it on. Ah, here he comes. Here I thought he... you said that all the scared children were going to leave the room. I got news for you, devil. The children of God aren't going anywhere. Yet the room is full of scared children. No, no. This room is filled with the sons of God. Wait till they see how fast I can cut you down. No, you're not going to cut me down. You're going to see me stand on the word of God. You are finished, devil. Jesus already defeated you. I'm going to cripple you with depression. You aren't worthy. You aren't worth it. I'm not worth it? Not I'm not worthy. worthy? Listen to me. You know what I'm worth? I'm worth the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you tell me that I'm not worth it. Don't you dare speak to me like that. I'm not worth it. The blood of Jesus was shed. 
to purchase me. I'm taking you back to the cross. I'm reminding you of what Jesus did. It is finished. You're a defeated foe. You think that healing's still for today? Well, it's not. You think you were healed of Crohn's disease? Well, you were not. You just haven't been checking for your symptoms. So you, you know want the feeling say, that you get in your knees? Shut up, I'm talking now. It's coming back. Shut up. I'm coming back for you. You say that I still have Crohn's disease? Well, let me show you what the pain feels like from a sick man. In <laughs> Jesus' name. You are defeated <laughs> in Jesus' name. I am healed <laughs> by the blood of Jesus. You are under <laughs> my feet in <laughs> Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> I got Crohn's disease. Here, that's what it feels like to be hit from somebody who is healed by the blood of Jesus no, Christ. You are headed for financial disaster. <laughs> you won't even be able to support your own family. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. Jesus said it's finished. Poverty is not going to be the curse over my life anymore. No, I'm taking you to the cross. No. And on this cross no. is where no. my Savior defeated no. you. He has set me free from every curse. He has set no. me free from your lies. He has set no. me free by the blood no. of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, no. get out of here. No. Out. You can't out. You can't Shut up words. and get out, devil. No. See, I don't fight the devil in my strength. I don't get arrogant and cocky. My victory is right there. Right there. Jesus didn't say it is finished because he was giving up the ghost. You got me, devil. It's finished. Oh, I can barely get the words out. It's finished. No! He was putting an exclamation mark at the end of God's prophecy of redemption. Hallelujah. It is finished. The victory is ours in Jesus' name. Come on, stand with me, church. Next Sunday, we're going to take a quick pause from this series. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has downloaded a heap of awesome stuff. And if you want to see your muscles start bulging, if you want to start getting a mindset that will set you free, I encourage you, keep coming back for this series because there is more truth that I want to unpack and there is more truth that I'm going to illustrate through skits and there is more truth of what the blood of Jesus has accomplished for everyone who believes. Amen. Amen. You know, during worship, I was thinking about this. I believe 
and a cross with no Christ on it. Because it shows the end of the story. He's risen. But I got half a mind to go to a, a goldsmith or a jeweler and have a cross designed where on the cross, everyone wears a cross. I want a cross that is engraved and it says it is finished it is finished every time the devil comes against me put my hand on that cross and say I'm taking you to the cross not this metal piece of jewelry I'm taking you to that rugged old cross where Jesus delivered me and he crushed your head it is finished means our deliverance and Satan's defeat. Amen. I want you to understand this is part of your salvation. This is part of your inheritance. This is part of your right. Listen, every one of us will face spiritual warfare. Every one of us will face conflicts in life. But you either face the conflict and grin and bear it and hopefully come out through the other end and maybe lose a limb or two, or you face the conflict with the mindset, the battle has already been won. And whatever you do, devil, what Jesus did is better. I am victorious because he is my victor. Amen. I'm not saying that the devil will never knock on your door. I'm not saying that he won't try to huff and puff and blow your house down. In fact, he'll not only huff and puff, he will also bluff. When the devil huffs and puffs, you have to understand it's a bluff. You see, I'm not advocating gambling, but a good guard player knows how to call his opponent's bluff. A good Christian knows how to call the devil's bluff. He says, no, I got a better hand than you every time. Because the hand I was dealt declares it is finished. The victory is mine in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one thing to hear this. I want you to live it. You see, that last skit just added maybe seven, eight minutes. And I'm always racing against the clock. We could have done without it. But I wanted you to see the visual. Because that's how I pray. Dialogues between the devil and me, that's how they go on. And that's how they have to go on with you. You will never beat the devil in the arena of life. But you will beat him in the arena of the cross where Jesus has already won the victory.